When you hear the word feminist, what do you think? Do you picture a specific type of woman? Or have you been taught to view feminism as something negative? Well, my guest today, Ashadaya, has become a leading voice in the feminist media space. She believes as women, we have a specific responsibility to empower other women to use their voices on issues like gender equality, reproductive rights, and representation. But her brand of feminism is also led by her progressive Christian faith. You're listening to We Need to Talk. So you Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. My guest today is an author, a TEDx speaker, and the founder of Girl Talk HQ, Asha Daya. Welcome to We Need to Talk. Thank you for having me, Melinda. It's great to be speaking with you today. Absolutely. We've gotten to know each other a little bit over the last couple of years, and I really yeah. have appreciated your voice and your stances, and we're very aligned in, in a lot of our views. And I love that you bring awareness to important topics, social justice, women's rights, gender equality, not just on your social media, but also as being the founder of Girl Talk HQ. So for you, what really kind of sparked in your trajectory that made it be about all of these important issues? Yeah, good question. And likewise, I admire the work that you're doing too. So oh, thank you thank for your you. voice and platform. So I guess my passion for um, women's rights and gender equality and really pushing the boundaries of, you know, what is the status quo and why are people in power? Why are they in power, not people who look like me? Mm -hmm. It started from a young age. Um, I'm Indian, but my ethnic background is Indian. I was born in England, raised in Australia, but my I'm a family of immigrants. My grandparents and great-grandparents come from India. They migrated to East Africa and then from there migrated to England and Canada. And we there's we're everywhere, Indians. There are literally yeah. billions of us. Yeah. Um, and so I think that history has always been very present in stories and, you know, relatives talking about their experiences, migrating and, you know, living in different countries. And specifically with gender equality, I was always inspired by my mother's passion for Indian art house cinema. Um, we weren't a Bollywood family, really, but my mom was always drawn to independent films because there, there were so many that were about these badass women who lived in these rural villages and they were up against the odds and they overcame some major hurdle and became a small town hero. And my mum just loved those stories. And I was always like, oh, mom, what are you watching now? You know, <laughs> but little did I realize stories like that were imprinted on my brain. And then when I was in high school and college, I, you know, when, as you read magazines, as a kid in the 90s does, um, for me, it, People on the cover of magazines never look like me. But what I really loved, and I found a folder of all these stories that I collected, in every magazine there was one interview or story about an everyday woman who was like starting a charity or uh, starting a school or raising money or, you know, walking for breast cancer or some like everyday hero. Mm -hmm. And I would rip those out and I would put them in a folder and I'd completely forgotten about it. And I found it a few years ago when I'd gone back to my parents' house. And so for me, I guess those seeds for gender equality, visibility and representation were planted at a young age in ways that I hadn't even 
realize we're going to manifest. Yeah. So it all kind of came together at girltalkhq.com. When I was 29, I was going through a divorce. I was leaving my conservative evangelical church. Mm. And at the same time, I had a career in media. I was a presenter. I was a producer. I'd done a lot of work behind the scenes. And I was kind of at a crossroads at that because of what was happening in my personal life. And also the digital media landscape was changing. This was 2009, 2010 um, and 11. And so I realized, well, I couldn't find a community of like-minded young women who were going through the same things that I was going through that were, uh, you know, confident enough to talk about it in the church that I was at. Yeah. I didn't find that community, that authentic community where that I really craved at the time. And so after leaving that church, after making the choice to leave an abusive marriage, I decided, well, why don't I use some of my, media interests and backgrounds and just start a blog on Tumblr. And I'm going to look for these really cool stories about badass everyday women online and just kind of put them all in one place. And from that, Girl Talk HQ grew to what it is today. And it all started with ripping out those, um, you know, those insert interviews in those magazines as a teen in high school and listening to my mom talk about the badass Indian women in cinema that she watched. Yeah. And now that's you kind are of one. in a nutshell. So that's the coolest thing. Now you are one. I have so many follow-up questions, but I have to ask what magazines you read because when you said 90s magazines, I immediately went to like Teen Beat, Bop, all of those. Well, those <laughs> and in Australia where I, where I grew up in high school, we had two main magazines. One was called Dolly, which mm-hmm. was kind of like, I guess, Cosmo, but not so much. It was more like teens. Mm-hmm. Dolly and Girlfriend magazine. Ah, okay. Magazine, they were both kind of basically the same. Um, you know, like fashion, beauty, celebrities, and Girlfriend magazine every year ran this modeling competition where any kind of teen girl could apply and send in a photo and, you know, make her next big break. And, you know, no one like me ever won, but I, I, there was, it was like a secret ambition of mine. And now I'm like, what was I even thinking? Oh. I love that. I love that. So a couple of things, just in your background, you kind of have a global view of a lot of different issues, which I think is really cool because not a lot of people get to experience how different places in the earth respond to certain issues. So globally, what have you seen the view of women is as a whole? But also I want to kind of hone in on your experience and how women were viewed in your church home that you left because Mm. I know we've talked a lot about the evangelical space and that's what I preach about on Twitter often. And so I'm curious your experience as a woman, specifically a woman of color in the evangelical church space, like what the perception of women was there as well. Yeah. Great questions. So I'll talk about Australia because I'm probably more, I moved to Australia when I was eight. So I lived in England for a very short time. Most of my formative years church wise and just as a person was in Australia I would say, you know, generally speaking, the policies there are very, are much more family and gender equality friendly. And so mm. moving here, it was really shocking to learn that we don't have a national paid leave um, policy and yep. um, just so many other things like access to healthcare and um, so many just basic things like that, that are kind of just embedded into Australian culture. And so it was, for me, it was never feminism or gender equality was never something that it's like 
oh, my gosh, we have to fight for quality to be put in our constitution because right. it was in our policies. And it, it's really bizarre because I remember someone saying, oh, the things that Bernie Sanders was fighting for, you know, in 2016 and 2020, I remember talking to an Australian friend and they were like, we already have this in Australia. So it's it's not that radical for yeah. Australia. It's like, and also the rest of the world. So in it's probably radical to, that it is an issue. Ex- exactly. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, people have babies, just have paid leave. Like, get on with it. Come on, America. You know, things like that. Um, but that is, you know, there there are underlying issues with, um, you know, there are r- racism. There is certainly a lot of issues that Australia needs to deal with. So mm-hmm. it is there. But on the on a general level, I never felt like, oh, to live in this country, we're really up. We're like fighting for the basic things, you know. Yeah. So that was one aspect. So my church, I grew up in Brisbane, which is in the state of Queensland. Um, Australia is very multicultural. Uh, we're very close to Asia. So the church that I went to, it was close to a lot of um, universities, which had a lot of international students. So the church, it was fairly small. Uh, it was very multicultural. So the majority of people were brown people, which was great. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of um, Asian Australian people. There were immigrants, people born there, Indians, all all different races and nationalities, which I really, really loved. Um, and there were, I, I don't remember seeing women in like preaching positions. It was such a small church that there was only one preacher basically. Um, But it was a church that supported a lot of missionaries, which is a whole issue in itself, Um, but I digress. But a lot of the missionaries that we supported who were in different countries were women and single women, um, you know, who didn't have children and who were going out there. And that was really interesting to me because the typical view of a missionary is, you know, a heterosexual couple with their children. And there were a few of those we supported, but there were also a number of just young women out there on their own, you know, doing what they wanted to do for for the church and for their faith. And so that was really interesting. I never felt a restrictive sense of, oh, you're a woman and this is going to be your role. It mm-hmm. wasn't until I got to Los Angeles and started going to what I then learned was, a conservative evangelical church that I realized, oh, politics is part of this culture. Oh, gender roles are an integral part of this church culture and, you know, those kind of hierarchies. So I'm really thankful for my church upbringing in Australia because it gave me a view that there is hope and there are churches and faith communities out there who value diversity and gender equality and Mm. really want to push the boundaries of what has become known as very conservative and restrictive. Yeah. And and what I love just in all spaces is how much women are saying, no, my voice deserves to be heard. And obviously that that statement is attributed to feminism, but the word feminism tends to get this negative perception and this Mm -hmm. negative rap when it really just means that women deserve equal rights. Like, I don't understand when people have such an issue with that. Like, you're technically a feminist if you believe that women deserve equal rights, right? But for you, especially being, you know, in the States and being in LA now, where do you think that pushback comes from when people hear that word? Because I know for me, for example, when you were talking about like Black Lives Matter or defund the police, like defund the police, I can understand why people kind of have a negative response to it because people are lazy. They're not going to do the research to actually find out what defund (laughs) the police actually means. So, but I've never understood if you know the definition of feminism, 
why it is there's so much pushback with that i think what we don't see enough examination of in just general culture not just church culture but we don't see enough examination of how the conservative white evangelical christian church in america has infiltrated mm. mainstream culture with yeah. their perspective on purity culture on gender roles on you know complementarianism and all these terms that may not be familiar but you understand where these ideas are you understand what the idea is that women have a certain place and men have a certain place and men should be in leadership and women should be submissive all those kind of things a lot of what we see in the pushback in mainstream culture does come from um the church which has been so influential over the past four or five decades and i think we're only now fully coming to a realization that they've been playing the long game for a long time and have gone under the radar because it's like oh, it's just a nice Christian church doing their prayers and, you know, loving people. And But actually there's so much more of a sinister agenda that's been happening and a lot of that has to do with politics but also with mainstream culture and gender is a, is a big, big part of that. And we see it now with the way they are pushing back against trans rights and LGBTQ equalities. Um, so I think... I hope that answered your question. Yeah, um, no, for sure, for sure. But yeah, I think there's the, the church has a, a huge role to play in that. And I think the backlash against feminism, the, the other aspect is that a lot of in a lot of ways, men are still raised to look and act and be and grow a certain way. And so when you don't have diversity of thought in your upbringing and in your social circle, all of a sudden when you see people saying, hey, I would like equality too, that's becomes a threat Absolutely. to your way of life. Absolutely. And it's funny that you say that because I talk about this often that in general, those spaces within the church, they're not taught for critical thinking whatsoever. Not at all. It's not a part of the equation. So like, yeah, when you hear phrases like feminism or hear Black Lives Matter or hear defund the police, you think that that's just what it is. And it's like, no, we're not saying that only Black Lives Matter. We're saying that Black Lives Matter in this moment because of everything's happening. We're saying defund the police, take money away from the actual cops and put money into other resources to help situations. We're saying feminism because women are still to this day trying to make the same amount as men, but they're not taught to think further than what they hear. And that's yeah. such a problem. And yeah, I talk about how, because <laughs> I just had a whole series on faith and politics, how religion has made its way into politics and it really should be separate. Like what is separation of church and state if it really doesn't exist, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think with feminism, I remember a, church, um, a, a pastor, she was a female pastor at my church, first church here in Los Angeles and I, I didn't really, I wasn't really interested in feminism at the time. It was just, mm -hmm. you know, I was very much in my church mindset bubble. She was saying to me, oh, yeah, I used to be a feminism, a feminist, and uh, now I'm a women's pastor. I'm like, okay, at the time. But now I look back, I'm like, what does that even mean? You can still be a feminist, believe in gender equality, and if this is your faith expression. But, but now I also realize being a conservative evangelical doesn't really allow for that. Like you said, there's no critical thinking there's no here's what we believe but go research it for yourself it's no this is what god says this is what the book says and this is what you should do and if you deviate from that then you're a heretic or you're mm -hmm. a rebel or you're backsliding or all those ways that they try and shame and ostracize you yeah well keeping with the church theme i know another topic that you have been very vocal about is abortion 
Yeah. And you even serve on the board of the Religious Coalition of Reproduction Choice, which I'm happy to now be on the board as well. Yay! Thanks to you. I'm really happy to be a part of that. But why did you decide to become such a vocal advocate for the pro-choice community? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I was going back many years, I was never really interested in, you know, big topics like abortion or anything seemingly political like that. But when I was at my conservative church, I started learning more about what their political alignments were. And of course, abortion was a big topic. Mm. And I just thought the way that they presented it was this horrendous thing that's happening. And they would just use these awful, awful terms that I don't really like to repeat because I think it's it can be really triggering and it's yeah. really disrespectful to other things that have happened throughout history. Um, and women just, that have personally experienced it. If you haven't experienced exactly. it, you really can't say anything, but sorry, keep yeah, going. <laughs> well, that's the thing that, you know, they would use these terms from the pulpit and in front of big groups. And it's like, now I think there are women in those groups who had had abortions and were too scared to talk about it because of what this is, what, what has been happening. So when I was at church, I remember hearing about abortion, like it was bad, it's awful and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess, all right, great. I'm I'm pro-life. Not doing any research, not knowing what that meant, just that abortion is this evil thing. When I left the church um, and I started going on my own journey, learning about feminism, changing my political views and just really kind of coming into my own post-divorce and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I remember sharing just different articles about women and gender equality. There may have been some reproductive rights stuff in there. On This is on Facebook. Um, and I had a couple of friends from church, girlfriends from church, reach out to me secretly and say, oh, thank you for sharing that article. I, I have never told anyone this, but I've had an abortion or I've had abortions, more than one. Mm. But the people in public were chastising me and all the women from the church, well, do you know this? And, you know, throwing out all the Bible lines and the, yeah, of course. the sayings that we do to, to, you know, chastise each other when you're in leadership. Um, but that really got me thinking like, okay, hang on a minute. This, and especially because some of those women who'd reached out to me were women who were very vocally pro-life and anti-abortion. Mm. And so th- that was just such a bizarre juxtaposition to me. And it really started me on the path of researching more. I'm like, okay, there's got to be more to this issue than what I've been taught. And I'm going to read, and I'm going to educate myself. And I would just like learn more about the statistics, read people's blog posts about their personal stories. And it really started me thinking like, how can I use that background that, you know, the religious background that I have, how can I use my media background? How can I use my voice my platform, my passion to do something because there's something about this issue that needs to be spoken about in a different way because yeah. there is a huge disconnect with what's going yeah. on in the church. And so that kind of got me interested in reproductive rights. And now being a mom, I first became a mom in 2017. I think it has made me even more um, pro-choice and even more, um, I guess, educated to the idea that having autonomy over your body and your yeah. choices about your family is so, so fundamental to being free. It's and crucial. if you don't yeah. have that, then what are we saying about ourselves as a country and as a church? How, how do you profess to be, you know, lovers of the human race and God's people if you're saying, if there's a caveat in that, depending yeah. on your skin color and your gender and your background. And 
So, yeah, I've been passionate about that ever since, I think, 2012, 2013. And then when those there was an anti-choice group that released a bunch of um, supposedly undercover videos in 2015 where they were, you know, doing research on Planned Parenthood. All those videos ended up being fake and edited. Yeah. There were yeah. multiple inquiries in multiple states and they got indicted in Texas, the people who made those videos. They were, you know, they said, oh, Planned Parenthood is selling baby parts. They weren't. Right. Uh, and they aren't. Uh, and that really made me start to think like, okay, this is this is something that's only going to get more and more heated, more divided, and all the Christian bloggers were coming out having their say. But there was one Christian blogger, and I don't remember who it was, but someone had posted an article and she was like, okay, well, let's let's just say all the all the people who are pregnant, they bring all those births to term and all the babies are born. Well, then what? How are we going to make sure every child has a loving home? How are we going to make sure they have food on the table, they have diapers? How are we yeah. going to make sure the mums are supported and have childcare and all these things. And, I, and that made me realize, oh, it's not just about abortion. It's about all these other um, intersectional issues. And it's a, it's, it's a holistic way of looking at life. Abortion doesn't just happen in a vacuum. Yeah. There are so many factors that go into this decision. And even more so it brought, brought home to me that there is no, how can you tell anyone else not to have an abortion or how many kids they should or shouldn't have well, we don't know anything about their life or their health. Yeah. And, yeah. But that's that's really the journey that I'm on. And the biggest thing for me also is that, it, in, as we talked about how the Christian space, evangelical Christian space, infiltrates the decisions in everything. It's like, that's mm -hmm. your belief. Exactly. It shouldn't be put on to everybody else. If you believe right. that abortion is wrong, then don't have an abortion. Right. And that's like the end of it. But yeah. what your beliefs are have nothing to do with what anybody else's life should be. I mean, in that we can talk about everything mm -hmm. that, you know, that the evangelicals have specific views on. But when it comes to that, it's like it this doesn't affect you. But I, I love that that blogger brought that up because that to me is what made me kind of take a step back like, oh, so if all of these kids are born and they all just get put into the system, how is that mm. a quality of life for them? If they're not provided right. for, if they end up going down, like this, it's, it's way deeper than just like, oh, I don't want to have a baby. Like, it's not just that. And I think that that's what a yeah. lot of people think that it, it really is just that, oh, I don't want to have a baby. It's like, no, yeah. it's, it's not that simple. It's so much more than that. And I also think now that, now that more people are aware of this, we cannot talk about um, abortion in America without bringing up systemic racism because mm -hmm. the way that the pro-life movement came about was with racist intent and it actually didn't start with Roe versus Wade it started with a different Supreme Court case Brown versus Board of Education mm -hmm. it was all about school segregation it's always been about racism and so yeah. I think if we don't talk about that if people in politics and leadership and media are not mentioning that then then it's easier to think of like, oh, they're just they're just these nice Christian people who want to save all the babies. It's like, no, that's let's look at the history, let's examine this, and let's really try to. If you do not believe in abortion, great. And if you think that you want to do the things to support all the babies, then do that. But yes. Yes. Other people from making the best decisions for their lives and their bodies. There's a way where people can live in their own, you know, um, own ideologies and decisions for themselves. And that's fine. And that's what part of living in a plurality is about. But it's when you make it your mission to 
you know, enact laws and, and restrictions that it's like, it's just gotten way out of hand. Yeah. That's where we are today. Agreed. So in all the work that you've done with amplifying female voices and talking about these issues that are very important to you and, and any feedback that you've gotten or people that have shared their stories with you, what are some similarities you found within all of these female voices? Yeah, I love this question because it's kind of the premise of my book, Today's Wonder Women, which start, which I got a book deal from my blog, Girl Talk mm. HQ. And I love that because, you know, for me, it really is about amplifying underrepresented voices of women who are really doing these badass things in their communities, in their industries, but that don't have the recognition. Um, and especially women of colour who you know, I think need more of a platform and, mm-hmm. and we're seeing that now, thankfully. So I think the common thread is women who see an issue or a problem and instead of waiting for that knight in shining armour or waiting for someone else to do it, they've just risen up and just got to work. You know, these are mothers, these are single mothers, these are teenagers, these are grandmothers, these are people from all different sorts of backgrounds, um, not necessarily rich or loaded. They're just everyday superheroes who are determined to change the world and not so much for an ego perspective, but because they just truly have passion for what they're doing and the people around them. And that's really inspiring to me because I think we live in an age that it's so easy to worship a celebrity or, you know, mm-hmm. put an athlete on uh, a pedestal, but it's, it's, it's harder to find the path to becoming that than it is someone in our community. You know, when we see our neighbor just doing something awesome, like whatever it is, I mean, there's so many examples. Um, You know, when you see someone in your community or your family or your network doing something really inspiring, it's so much easier to have access to that person and say, how did you do what you do? How can I come alongside you and, and support you and affirm you and be part of this and, you know, be inspired by that. And, you know, that's all goes back to mentorship. And so I think, yeah, that, that's the common thread. Women who just have seen a problem, risen up, wanted to create change and, and make life better, not just for themselves, but people around them. I love that. I absolutely love that. Well, as you know, March is Women's History Month. And in general, when we have history months, you know, we have Black History Month, Women's History Month. It's always a very reductive overview of (laughs) that history. But what would you like people to spend their time educating themselves on in terms of women's history? Hmm, I like that question. I think... For me, I'm a very, I like to be a very, history is really important, uh, but I like to be a very forward thinking person. Um, Look at the women around you, women and girls and femmes around you who are making history now. And, Mm. and, you know, it's hard to see in the moment, but, you know, the women who are doing the hard stuff and really sticking their necks out and going against the grain um for the sake of other people to you know make the world a better place I would say look at the people around you and see how you can support them and and raise them up and amplify the work that they're doing because um you know when we look at throughout history a lot of the people who we idolize and you know celebrate today they were the pariahs back in the day you know it's like we just recently celebrated um MLK day and Mm -hmm. People idolize him, but at the time they hated him and they mm-hmm. killed him. 
and they he was not popular among certain people but now it's like oh we want to you know live in his legacy it's like well let's do that work today with the people around us today and and see how and also how we can be the difference um it's scary sometimes just stepping out and Mm -hmm. taking that leap and doing something different but I think we can all be history makers today and so I, I would encourage people during this month to look around you and your community and see people who are making change yeah Great advice. I love that. And just following up with that, because you have truly found your voice, you know what you stand for, you know what your your goals are. How would you encourage other women to step into their own and finding their voice for about issues that they want to speak out about and how they can encourage others? Yeah, there are so many ways to use your voice. And I think there are, there, you know, everyone's platform is different. Not everyone <laughs> wants to speak in front of crowds of people with a microphone and if you do that's great some people want to write I think it's all about finding first it starts with let me, let me rewind a little bit first I think it starts with centering ourselves and really being honest and truthful about who we are what we want and how we want to show up in the world mm. and I think once we know that then it's then you can kind of reverse engineer it and those opportunities will come about organically whether it's you know doing a daily post on social media or starting a blog or doing an instagram live once a week or join, joining your local group or organization or church or whatever it is i think once you know who you are and what you want to do and how you want to show up in the world you'll have so much more clarity on on where your platform what your platform is for me, I was trying to do it the other way around the whole for too long. You know, I want to be out there. I want to do that. And then I started comparing myself with people and I would get frustrated because I wasn't having the same opportunities. And it took a while, I think, going through motherhood, going through some postpartum depression, going through COVID and the world changing and, and going through a divorce previous to that to make me realize, okay, who am I? Like, what, what do I want to do? What do I want? What do I want to give? And from there, it was I was able to kind of course correct and figure out my path, which I'm still figuring out. But I think it really does start with yourself and you know where you want to go. So start start with start within, and then you can figure out without. Ah, I love that. Absolutely love that. Ash, it has been so great chatting with you. Can you please let everyone know where they can find your book, where they can read your blog, and where they can follow you to keep up with all the great work you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. This has been great. Um, so you can check out todayswonderwomenbook.com. Um, it's on Audible as well as a, a hard copy. You can go to girltalkhq.com and just check out all the brilliant stories there. If you want to submit a story or um, you have a project that you want to promote, please reach out. I'm always interested in seeing what people are doing. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm just at Asha Dyer. That's A-S-H-A-D-A-H-Y-A. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. And to the listeners, thank you for your weekly support of We Need to Talk. Make sure you like, comment, share, review, and most importantly, subscribe. Thank you to Stephen James, our theme song writer and producer. And remember, everything begins with a conversation. We need to talk.